It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 607 at News Talk. WSB, 67 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape, howsoever you might define success. One flower, one less weed. What do you think? If you think there's one more thing that you can get accomplished that you need a little bit of guidance on, I'm here to guide you there to success. All you have to do is call me on the phone. 404-872-0750. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and they were interviewing Jeff Garland. And Jeff Garland, of course, is a comedian. He, most famously for me anyway, was appeared on Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's been on, what now, eight seasons? I think a ninth season coming up, maybe this fall. And one of the things that Jeff said during the podcast was he said, sometimes when I do my stand-up comedy, when I go to a club, do a stand-up comedy, he says, I have zero idea what I'm going to say until I walk out and take the mic. And I was thinking to myself just a few minutes ago, you know, I have zero idea what I'm going to talk about for the first few minutes of the show because I didn't do much outdoors this week. I did a lot of indoor reading and some writing and some other things that needed to be done, but I didn't get outside and do anything in the garden to observe what other people's... Oh, I do remember something I did this week. Ah, I do remember it. I walked down the street just to see sort of a... For me, a lot of times, walking down my street gives me ideas of things that I can write about or talk about or I can bring to your attention that is happening, somebody else is having. And I remember when I walked down in front of Lou and Susan's house. Lou and Susan live down the street from me, have a nice, pretty lawn, slopes downward to their nice home. And as I was walking past and looking at their lawn, I noticed that there were straight stripes that go parallel to the street. And there were about six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, probably eight parallel stripes of something in their lawn parallel to the street. Now, what is that? I thought I walked over to it and got my, got my nose down close so I could see what was going on. And what was very obvious to me was it looked like there was some, just a stripe of weeds. Why would there be a stripe of weeds, mostly uh, spurge and oxalis, it seemed to me? Uh, why would there be stripes of weeds, six or seven or eight of them, parallel to the street going down the gentle slope to the house? And so I called Diane and Lou, and uh, Diane, Susan and Lou later in the week, and I said, why do you have those stripes? What do you think that could be? And I think it was Lewis just sort of sighed and said, well, we just can't fire Danny. I thought, Danny? What has Danny got to do with anything? Who's Danny? Who is Danny? Danny's the guy that's mowed our lawn from about the week after we arrived in our home in 1994. Danny has mowed the lawn. And in the last four or five years, Lewis said, He's gotten a little weak, a little crippled, so he does, he limps as he walks, and he only wants to walk and mow across the top of the lawn, parallel to the street, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's where his wheels 
have hit the soil for so many years, where the wheels of his lawnmower have hit the soil for so many years and compacted the soil so the only thing that grows there are spurge, oxalis, weeds that love being in compacted soil, whereas grass does not particularly like compacted soil. And I thought, well, that is an interesting thing right there. <laughs> that just mowing in the same pattern for year after year after year has resulted in a clear striping of where the wheels rolled along the street, and then one pass over, another roll along the street, and that was why the stripes are there in the grass and the lawn. I thought that was very, very interesting, and a lesson for all of us. If you mow the same pattern all the time, you will have weeds where the wheels compact the soil. So what do you do? Well, you go back and forth and diagonally and maybe a right angle once in a while so that there's not the same path taken by your lawnmower wheels. If there is a path the same taken, you can deal with the weeds if you feel like it, but you can avoid them by not taking the same path every time. Ha! I did think of something that I wanted to talk about this week. <laughs> it was about Danny and the lawns and the grass and the weeds that grew parallel to the grass. Well, let's think about other things this morning. Let's go down to Griffin and talk to our friend Nicole down in Griffin. Hey, Nicole. Miss Irene. Miss Nicole, good morning. Just on the you, you can't come up with stuff like this. Wow. I cannot the, believe it. The you other know, thing, so the other, the other part of the story is the next door to this, 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 this uh, lawn that I just described with the mower wheels. There were another stripe in their front lawn. Only one, though, in this case, it was striped right across again, parallel to the street. And I called up Diane and, and Leo and said, what is going on with your lawn? And for them, it was pretty easy to figure out. Their irrigation company had come and put a new irrigation line in. And they had seeded or sodded where they made the disturbance in the ground. And so it was all weed. It was solid, solid, solid spurge growing there where the irrigation line had been put in. Ah. That's always been my worst thing here, compacting soil. soil. It is. I mean, soil, roots of plants need to have little voids in the soil where they can penetrate and find the moisture and nutrients that they need. If you compact the soil, that makes the roots of many plants unhappy, grass plants particularly. Uh, I like to talk about um, tropical. Sure, um, what you got? Well, Mr. I've been trying a lot of stuff over the years, okay? I always make my own tropical. I go in Florida and come back with uh, cutting and things like this. But sure. Uh, usually, I do it early, you know, to uh, uh, put some dirt and change the dirt because I know the winter time is hard for them. Mm -hmm. So usually, I do it in springtime. And I said, this is not working because you got a lot of growth in summer, and then you bring them inside, and too much of a big change. Yeah. Then I realized I do it in fall. It's not a enough time to recover yeah. and put you know put up some more growth. So now I'm doing this time of the year. It's much better. So what are you doing this time of year? Repotting. Repotting all, and all the to, all to the. Um, Tropical. Because then when you repot them now, they have time to get a little growth, a little adaptation to the new container, so you can take them in and they'll be okay inside the house. Yeah, and right? you don't have, because in, in the wintertime, it's really dry inside the house. Right. You don't have to water maybe once a week, minus maybe two weeks, because the soil is new and uh, they already got, you know, a lot of... Uh, Adaptation, you know. Good point. Do you have a lot of tropical inside your house? I knew you no, get this. Not inside my house. I have two or three house plants inside the house that I sometimes forget to water, and sometimes they die, and sometimes Mr. Reeves feels bad about that. But outside of it, cannas and caladiums, and uh, what else is out there? Two or three other plants. The big. Uh, 
paper bush that Edgeworthia that looks sort of tropical to me. I have several plants that you could call them tropical, but they live outside because they can stand the cold in our winters. The canna does fine outside. The fatsia does fine outside, things like that. You still have this lemon tree? I've got the lemon tree. It's tropical. Yeah, you're right. It's tropical. It's got six, I think, little lemons on it right now, about the size of a golf ball and slightly bigger. And I water that outside and then have to get it ready to bring in. And you're right. You're right. What I should do, and maybe I'll think about doing it a little bit earlier this year than last, is to prune it back so it's the right shape and size to bring indoors so it doesn't have quite so much the stress of pruning it the day before I bring it indoors in October. A lot of stuff bloomed a long time this year, isn't it? The crepe model rebloom again, Man, and then yeah. you have the Altea. And yeah, 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 yeah. This has been good year, bad year. You could always say this has been a bad year for mosquitoes. We've had a lot of mosquitoes in my neighborhood. But this has been a great year for crepe myrtles. They have, as you say, bloomed two or three times. You've got uh, other plants that have done fine. The Rose of Sharon, as you mentioned, has done done great in my neighbor's yard. So, yeah, you got a good year for mosquitoes and for good flowering on your semi-tropical plants. Think about a name for this summer. <laughs> My you... name is Beautiful Sunflower Summer. Well, that's not a bad idea, because you have all those sunflowers near your house where all the sunflowers grow in the field, right? Oh, Missouri, I told you about this thing. Uh, what can you do with sunflowers? You could sell the, the seed sure, and the sell. oil, and you get the, the yellow... But this guy is going to attract the bird and kill the bird. He wants to kill the bird? He's a, put the sunflower so he can hunt there? Yes. Um, what's this bird's got a ring around his neck? The dove? Yes. Yeah, the dove feels. Yeah, sure. I just believe it. I mean, for each his own, but those yeah. poor birds, I mean, they're... Yeah, well, we sort of sometimes think it's cheating because you put, as you say, you can bait fields uh, under certain circumstances. There are rules about how often and how, how many times you can do it. And you can bait, you can have deer plots. I've been asked on the show several times about what plants can be put into a deer plot to make a place that the deer come to comfortably. And in the wintertime, when the hunters get out, then the deer come, and, well, you yeah. know what happens after that. In Canada, too, they have they feed the, the deer big time, yeah. or the moose, too. And again, there, there are rules about what you can and can't do for baiting for birds and for deer and things like that, so it's not like a, a slaughter exactly. But it does seem a little like cheating to do that, but what about it? I'm not a hunter, I'm not a fisher, so uh, I let the hunters do what they want to do. Yes, I always thought that you kill to eat because if we didn't have the wildlife when we yeah. was young, there was no no much food in wintertime. I th well, I think most hunters do kill to eat. I don't think that they would do anything that they felt that wasn't any uh, any use to have the meat of the deer or the meat of the dove, the meat of the quail or things like that. So All right. I give hunters credit for doing that when they eat their own food, when they eat the uh, deer they slaughtered, they hunted. Then uh, I think that's fine with me. All right, I'm looking at the clock. I don't know what Jason is thinking right now. He's saying, wait, Nicole, wait, Nicole, we got to go. Uh, so I have to tell you that, Nicole, it's great talking to you this Saturday morning. I enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. We'll see you soon in the tropical isle of Spalding County. 617, back to you, back to more lawn and garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need.
Well, there's no lie. There's a quick trick. Tri- uh, trick. A quick weather update this morning. <laughs> Brought to you by Ackerman Security. Bottom line is not much different from yesterday, and not much different from tomorrow. High in the high 80s, pretty much, and the lows in the high 60s overnight. Chance of rain 20 to 30, 40 percent during each day, but not a terrible change for the next two or three days of the weather patterns. You get your full weekend forecast in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Coming up in the next half hour, great questions this morning. Jan and Millsville will know more about her gold thread juniper, why it's turning brown. Mary in Douglasville says her cucumber plants are wilting. Stewart says he wants to talk a little bit about turnip salad, collards. Chris in Blairsville says he saw Spanish moss. We're going to talk to Chris about that. Did he see Spanish moss in Blairsville or what exactly did he see? But joining us right now, John in Dunwoody says he needs to measure a tree. And John, why do you need to measure the tree? Well, I'm actually in Belsville. Uh-huh. Well, between Belsville and Cunning. But what I got is a, um, what I think is possibly a um, record size tulip down there. Wow. Okay. It's it's very, very large. It's probably just, if I measured it right, it's somewhere 20 feet probably around. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's I don't know, probably 75, 80 feet tall. Yeah. What it does, it goes up about 12 feet and then splits off into four basically distinct trees. Right. And each one of those are like three feet around, so it's a huge tree. So you know about the Georgia Champion Tree Program where they go and measure, not they go, but you submit a a, uh, application, I guess, to be a champion tree of a certain species, and they have a list of Georgia Champion Trees. You know about that? John. I do not. Yeah, I do not. So if you if your tulip popper turns out to be huge and big, you might be you might be the champion tree, and if you want to go and sort of see which ones have already been measured and whether yours actually measures up to their uh, to their girth and height and everything, you can go to my website walterreeves.com and just type in champion. That's all you have to do for the search term, and it'll take you to this page. I'm pretty sure it'll tell you about the champion trees to measure the height, which is the hardest thing about a tree. The only way that I have done it myself, can you? is it possible that you can see the shadow of that tree pretty distinctly, John? No. Uh, it's, it's in among a bunch of other ones. Wow. Um, I, was, yeah, I, just, I, don't, I don't know how you would even measure. I, don't, I, I was really trying to just accurately measure circumference. Yeah. Well, with circumference, of course, you take a string and you know, run it around the tree at breast height, and that's the circumference. But the height is part of the champion tree program, too, of measuring you know, what are the biggest trees. And the way that I have done it before myself was a big pine tree I had. It was in a pretty big clearing, and I could see where the shadow of the pine tree was cast at noon. And I had a stick that I drove into the ground. The stick was about 12 inches out of the soil, and I knew that when the stick's shadow was 12 inches long, and the stick itself was 12 inches high, that the shadow of the pine tree would tell me how high that tree was. So that depends, of course, on knowing, being able to see where the shadow is. Call the local forestry service. That's the best thing to do, I think, John. In Dawsonville, you've got a good forestry service out there. Call the local forester and ask them what you would do to measure that tree and find out whether it's a champion. And call me back and let me know whether it is or not. I'd love to know. 
It's eight. It's eight twenty-eight. No, it's six twenty-eight. My lines in front of my eyes here. It's six twenty-eight. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 636 on a Saturday morning, 67 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. We did a little research over the break there to find out what is the champion tulip poplar or yellow poplar tree in Georgia. Over in Rocky Ford in Bullock County, they measured one there, 148 feet tall. Circumference of the trunk at four and a half feet at breast height is 232 inches, about 10 feet around at breast height, and the diameter of the crown, 95 feet. They add these things together, these numbers of height of the tree, diameter of the, of the uh, crown of the tree, and then the circumference of the trunk. They add all those together to make a, a points that are awarded to the tree to determine which tree is the champion. So that is the champion tulip poplar at 148 feet high and close to 10 feet around at 4 feet off the ground. That's a big tree. That's a monster tree. So I hope John, if he'll go out and measure his tulip poplar, we'll get some news about that. Or it may just be the champion tulip poplar in Dawsonville. We don't know what it'll be. But John, get, get back in touch. We'd love to know what goes on. Stuart joins us to talk about his turnips and his uh, other greens. Stuart, hey, good morning. Good morning, Walt. How can Appreciate I help? Appreciate the show. Thank you, Stuart. Okay, I just want you to give me a little advice. When when is your time to plant them? It's a little early right now, but we're looking at getting pretty close. Fifteenth of August would be about right to plant turnips and collards. I think you're planting from seed. I'm assuming. Yes, sir. Right, yeah. Anywhere between the middle of August and through the middle of September is probably fine earlier rather than later and pray for some warm weather for you know into october november to keep them up and growing and they don't get stopped by the frost or anything like that but i think middle of that middle of august we're planting turnips and collards would be about right could i tell you something yeah sure i'm already eating turnips <laughs> when did I, you plant these turnips i sold them about i'll say uh three or four weeks ago wow I'm already eating them. Not turnips, but, you know, the salad. Yeah, sure. And it is good, too. This year, we've probably had the best year of any to have a summer planting of greens like that, cool season greens. Because it rained, it was cloudy, and it really hasn't been, for a sustained amount of time, 90 or 95 degrees. And it hadn't been dry. It hadn't been terribly dry anyway. So that's pretty good to start it then. I've been keeping the water to them all. Yeah, yeah. Listen, thank you so much for your program. Hey, it's good talking to you, Stuart. Congratulations on eating stuff from your own garden. It's a good thing to, good thing to have. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. I'll see you soon, Stuart. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Stuart's place. Chris is up in Blairsville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Chris, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How you doing? I'm doing fine. What did you see in North Georgia? I know. I'm going, cra- I'm going crazy, I think. I've seen two things in Blairsville, Georgia, that I've never seen in my lifetime, and I'm almost 50. What are you doing, washing dishes at the same time you're talking to me? No, I'm unloading mail. (laughs) (laughs) What did you see, Chris? I was playing golf with some friends at Old Union Golf Course in Blairsville, and on the number 10 team, just as I crossed the bridge, I just happened to look up my tree. And it looks like a big wad of Spanish moss hanging in this tree. 
And I asked the other guys that was with me, and they said, you know, I've never seen that before. So no. I thought, I know who will know, and that'll be Walt. So I thought I'd call you. Spanish moss, as you and most listeners know, grows down in South Georgia and East Georgia to go towards Savannah and Jekyll Island and all that. But the right. temperature range that Spanish moss can survive is in the 30s, it's the low 30s. In other words, if it freezes, the Spanish moss dies. In Blairsville, that's freezing winter weather up there. No way that Spanish moss could survive that far north. But what else could it be in the tree is my question now. Well, I knew I should have took a picture, and I didn't think yeah. about it because I thought I'd never need it again. And I thought, well, I'll call Walter. But you can go to Blairsville every once in a while. You can go up there and... And check it out next time. You know, the only thing I can think of, Chris, would be uh, some of the real thready-looking lichens. You know, lichens grow in trees, and Blairsville is uh, not a bad place for lichens to grow. I don't know why it would ball up as you describe it, but lichen, a lichen conglomeration, I guess, of lichen uh, strands would be the only thing I can think of that it would possibly be. These look like they're about two and a half to three feet. There's three little clumps wow. of it, and it, it hangs way down. I let's go golfing. Let's go up there, Chris. You next time you go there, bring your camera. Take some good pictures as close as close up as you can do with your long lens on that camera, and let's see it. I don't believe there's any way that Spanish moss could grow in Blairsville, but I learned something new every day, and maybe I'll learn something new about this. But let's have some documentation. Okay, I just didn't know if it was so warm and been so warm that maybe. Everything's graduating north, I guess. Yeah, but the wintertime, on March anyway, when it froze in March and got so cold in Blairsville, I think that would have killed any possibility of the Spanish moss being able to survive. But, you know, take a picture and let's see. And the second, second thing I saw was last night, um, I saw an armadillo that had been ran over next to Vogel State Park mm -hmm. in Blairsville. I was going to do that this past uh, week. You reminded me now that I needed to put a post on my Facebook page asking people where is the most northernmost armadillo that you have seen because I'm curious if, if they've gotten inside the perimeter in Atlanta. I know they're north of Atlanta because I've seen them in Rome, I've seen them in Athens, but Vogel, that's pretty far north and that's a long way away from Atlanta. Last year I saw one run over in Tacoa. Wow. How about that? Armadillo. Anyway, what a, what a creature. I well, appreciate your program. I listen to you every Saturday. Send me some pictures. Get pictures and get it back to me, Chris. I will. All right, man. We'll see you soon. Drive safely. You too. Thanks, Walter. 404-872-0750. Mary in Douglasville joins us with a poor Mary's cucumbers not doing so well this morning. Hey, Mary. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My cucumbers have been beautiful, the, the vines, yeah. and now suddenly they're wilting. Hmm. And I, I think it's even spreading over. I have these uh, Asian melons. Uh -huh. I think it's starting to happen over there. Uh, do you see any diseases on the leaves, any powdery-looking, white-looking things on the leaves? You no, know, when I went out last night and I saw these things look like little lumps of crystal-looking things. Uh -huh. They're clear and light green, and you mash them as they're soft. Are they coming out of the stem? Out of the where do, where do you see these green things that you mash? Where are they on the plant? Oh, along the vine, along not many, just here and there, like a little lump. I didn't know if it was anything. Mm, it's possible you have squash vine borer, which is an insect that bores into the stem of a squash plant usually, but when they go in, 
the hole that they use as they go in is a place down that they push out the the frass, the stuff that mm. they've digested, and they get rid of it by pushing it out of the hole. It's possible that's what you have, a squash vine borer insect, I'm, and it's pushing that, its frass. I've not, not had any bugs. A few that I've picked off, I've squashed. Yeah. And that's all. But you wouldn't see this one. This one's a clear wing moth. It's not oh. very distinctive. It, she lays her eggs on the stem of squash and cucumber and other plants. And when the eggs hatch out into a little worm or a little caterpillar thing, it goes into the stem directly. And so there's not much chance of you seeing the moth or maybe even the oh. eggs, but you would see the frass coming out of the stem. So here's what, here's what you can do to figure out if I'm right or not, Mary. Go out this afternoon when it's bright and sunny outside, scrape with your thumb or a little knife blade, scrape off that gooey stuff off the stem, and see if you can see a hole in the stem. If you see that hole, that's pretty 100% diagnostic for the squash vine borer. And how do you get the insect? You can't get insecticide in there. What you can do, if you want to be really mean, is to get a straight pin and just poke it through the stem several times around the place where you think the squash vine borer is. And if you pierce the bug, it'll die. It won't hurt the plant, but it'll die inside the stem, and then it won't be able to uh, do any more damage inside. If you keep having it, it will cause the the stem and the whole plant, the cucumber plant, to wilt beyond repair. It can't recover after you've got so much of the inside of the stem eaten up. Oh, dear. Just starting, it seems. Yeah. Go, let's go look out there when it gets bright and see if you don't okay. see holes Okay, all right. In the stem. Thank you. All right. Good talking to you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jan is with us in Milledgeville, Georgia. Hey, Jan. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm quite well. How can I help? I have, in our front yard, in the front of our home, we have about eight. They're called gold thread junipers. Mm -hmm. they're, they're real pretty. They have the gold color to them. Mm -hmm. And they've been in the ground for several months and have done very well. But now, all of a sudden, a couple of them are starting to get brown. Those, those leaves or fronds, whatever you call yeah. them on a juniper, yeah. are browning. And I looked to see if there was something like spider mites or something, but there's no webbing. There's nothing that I can see. So am I maybe watering too much or watering mm -hmm. not enough? What do you think? Remind me again, when did you plant them? Um, it's been, I would say we planted them, let's see, this is August, probably in May or early June, but no earlier than that. Yeah. I will tell you, I'm not, I'm not sure, just from your description, and I won't be sure without looking at the root system, which I can't drive up to your house and, and look at it, but I can tell you what I suspect. Okay. All evergreen plants planted in spring or late spring are going to have a really tough time getting enough water in the summertime. You have to water them just really specifically with enough water to keep the root ball underneath the plant, of course, uh, and keep it from drying out. And my suspicion would be that no matter how much you believe you watered, not enough got into the root ball itself to wet it to make the roots able to bring water up to the top of the plant. So if you want to do a little investigation, since I'm not going to come, you can do this yourself. Take a spading fork or a shovel and just gently lift the plant up and look to the root system and see if the roots have grown and spread into the surrounding soil very much. If they haven't, then my theory is correct. It, did, it dried out. Not enough water got to it because the, the root ball stays about the same size for at least six months after you plant a juniper or most of the potted plants. And then after six months or so, it'll start slowly growing outward into the soil around it. And it's very possible that the water that you put, put on the, the plants was on the outside of the root ball, on the outside of the foliage, and never really got in to saturate the root ball where all the roots are. Okay, so... 
Well, you know, because we've had a lot of rain this sure, summer in Milledgeville. Sure, sure. Plus, we do water them quite, you know, because it's, it's also been very hot and sunny. So yeah. we we I felt like we watered them a lot, a lot but maybe not enough, as you, you can, say. You can find out. It's easy to find out. Like I say, the root ball has not... In just in a normal plant, even if it were watered properly, it will not have moved. The roots will not have grown very much outside of the root ball. You can successfully lift it up again, carefully, carefully, just lift it up, flip it over, and see how many roots have expanded into the surrounding soil. Or use your finger and poke it into the root ball and see if it's still dry. I suspect that it is. Okay, so that you think if I can, if so, other than that, you think it should they should be all right if they're getting more water, or I should try to get them they more are water. They're tough plants. Be. The false cypress are tough plants. Kind of cypress is what you have, and my guess is that water is the only thing that would cause the needles to turn brown in the way that you described. Not spider mites, not not just not being able to get enough water. That's my guess. Flip it over. Jan, flip it over and come back. Talk to me next Saturday. We'll find out a little bit more about your plants and see if that is true or not, whether water was needed or not. At 648, we'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. The high today in the high 80s, 87, 88 degrees. Overnight lows in the high 60s, 66, 67, 68. Tomorrow about the same, 30 to 40% chance of rain both days. And your full weekend forecast comes in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Leon in Atlanta joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Leon, good morning. Good morning. I need some advice on shrubbery. All right. Um, about 10 years ago, we put, uh, my wife wanted to have a nice shrub on either end of the house in front, and we, we bought one. It's beautiful, but I have to prune it like twice a year. Mm-hmm. And after all these years, I'm a little tired of it. So I was wondering <laughs> if you could recommend something that would be either barrel or pyramid shape that would sort of top out at six feet, and I wouldn't have to prune it all the time. There's always a shape and form of loripedalum that'll fit your needs. Loripedalum comes in so many different varieties, going from 12 to 14 inches high, all the way up to 10, 11, 12 maybe feet high. So loropedalum, if you haven't, if you don't know that word before, that's loropedalum. If you go to a nursery to a pike and say, I need one this high, they can say, well, you need this one. You need purple pixie, purple diamond, you need ruby, you need uh, zuzial fuchsia, you need and you just go and pick the lower pedal that meets the, the size and height you need. Um, How do you spell that, Laurel? L-O-R-O-P-E-T-A-L-U-M, Laurel Petalum. Another name for it is Chinese fringe flower, if you want to look it up online to sort of see which varieties are appropriate. And as a matter of fact, my memory is that I have a list on my website so if you were to spell it correctly and <laughs> the search line of my website, it might take you to the article that I wrote comparing the different sizes. But I believe there are more sizes available now than there were when I wrote the article initially. So continue to do research. But that's at least one plant you can choose to match whatever environment you have. And that was L-O-R-O? L-O-R-O-P-E-T-A-L-U-M, Loropetalum. Okay. That's the one that has, there used to be, only green-leafed loropedalums, and then somebody introduced the purple-leafed loropedalums, which have been around for 
mm, 10 or 15 years now. And so you can now find different kinds of green loropetalums once more that have a lot more flowers than the old green loropetalum did. And so you might choose one based on leaf color, the green leaf color versus the purple leaf color. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Other than that, another resource for you, Leon, is go to my website. Up in the top of the of the uh, web page, there's a couple of tabs there for one's landscaping. Click on landscaping, it pulls down and say plant lists, and I have a whole lot of plant lists. Of plants for screening, plants for shrubbery, plants for uh, damp places, plants for full sun, and you might choose one of those uh, articles I've written and gives maybe a few more choices for you, but... To me, Laura Pedler would be the one that I would consider first for your for your uh, hedge there in front of the house. It's 6.58 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back tomorrow, Lawn and Garden, after news.